Thanks. The order breakfast at the McDonald's drive-thru. Tell yourself you'll wait to eat it at work, but it smells way too good. So you eat it right there in the McDonald's parking lot meal. There's a meal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, get any size iced coffee for 99 cents until 11 a.m. And pair it with your favorite breakfast sandwich or one of our tasty bakery treats. Price and participation may vary. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. McDonald's. I'm loving it. It takes thousands of hours to become an astronaut. Right, Nina? Oh, I'm not an astronaut. I'm a design consultant at the Container Store. But you explore space. I help you find space with our Alpha Closet systems. And you're an expert. Pretty good at it. And you use satellites to communicate. I'm doing more virtual in-home closet designs, but I wouldn't say... We salute you, astronaut Nina, for helping us find space. You're welcome. The Alpha sales bonus is here. Earn up to $500 in credit now through February 7th at the Container Store, where space comes from. From regular expenses to occasional splurges, there's a lot to buy. Why not get cash back every time you spend? With the PenFed Power Cash Rewards Card, you get cash back on every purchase. That's everywhere, every time you use it. You can even earn a $100 statement credit when you spend $1,500 in the first 90 days. Visit PenFed.org slash PowerCash to apply. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Welcome to El Tell and John's La Liga Weekly. I'm just waiting for Terry. He's outside doing a conga with his neighbours. And <laughs> he's not. He's not outside doing a conga with his neighbours during a pandemic lockdown. Uh, we are, but we are here and we are going to talk about football and we are going to talk about the prospect of football uh, resuming and football being back again. We'll dive straight into the questions. Thank you to everybody who sent the questions in. Um, Harold asks a really good one. Um, is it worth going back to play? Uh, what if a coach gets sick and dies? Have any players come out and say they want to play? So, you know, th- there we are. So that's the big question, Terry. Is it worth it? What, the conga or the the, the, the players coming back to play? It is a form of exercise, John, I have to say. So I'm allowed to do it once a day. Um, no, um, Just on your own, though. Just on my own, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, in regards to, to, to going back to play, I think that there's... It's, it's a tough one, is it? Because we know how serious this has been, how devastating it has been for so many families around the world. And and it, it, it seem, almost seems trivial with some of the things that we are talking about returning to. But I'm afraid that that's how you know we're going to have to approach it. It's, as I say, it's a, a tragedy for so many people. And, and football is one of those things that we're going to talk about with you know some enthusiasm about the return of seeing live professional football, whichever country it is in. And, you know, there's there's lots of other, you know, situations now where we're looking at hopefully slowly but surely a, a return to some sort of normality in life again. And, and you know, it's gonna, going to take time. But I think it, it's worth the debate. I think it, it's worth talking about. I don't think it's worth doing what the French have done, for, for instance, and, and what the Dutch have done in terms of just scrapping everything. Over these podcasts, I've made it made it clear that I feel that it's no way right to scrap a season that's three quarters of the way through just to start another one in two or three months' time. So I, I think you know whenever it is 
suitably safe and safer um, to go back to playing some sort of football where we can, you know, people can watch, we can get the, the right outcomes in terms of champions of various leagues, the teams that the, the correct teams that are relegated, teams in, in next season's European competitions. Then I think that is, is the more favourable option as opposed to what I said about the French and, and the Dutch um, cancelling their leagues, you know, straight away. So I, I think we have to, you know, it's, I think you, you, you know, you, it, it's going to be very, very complicated just in terms of training. But I, I think it's worth pursuing. Um, and if it is complicated, then then so be it. You know, it's up to, you know, clubs, nations, leagues to come up with solutions to make it as safe as possible. And I think we're all, we're all kind of grateful that uh, the efficient Germans, as a surprise, are, you know, taking their place as the first major league in Europe to start playing again and it will give everybody an opportunity to to, to see how they're doing it um, I'm sure they will make mistakes other leagues can learn from their mistakes um, how they're you know doing it on a on a basis we're hearing stories about you know more subs than usual bigger squads than usual because there's going to be a, a quick turnaround in, in matches so I've heard there's, there could be 23 players named in a a match day squads, five substitutes allowed to be used. All these things are are going to, you know, be complicated in in the, the, the short term. But I think I feel it's genuinely, you know, worth you know working hard to come up with a solution to it all. So yeah, I think it's uh, in five six weeks time when we're talking about La Liga and possibly the Premier League. We might be five or six, or well, hopefully we are five or six weeks further down the line than the Germans and, and the situation in the, in the in the UK and the situation in Spain. It's slowly but surely improving. So hopefully, in, in you know, as I say, in, in six weeks' time, it's going to be, the world's going to be a, a slightly safer place to to play professional football and, and other sports. My reservation, I've got a couple of reservations. I just, I really hope that we don't rush it through. Now, as, as you say, the Germans are, are getting ready. Um, they they hope to be playing next weekend. They've scheduled games. That doesn't mean that everybody else has to get back because they, they obviously dealt with the whole outbreak uh, in, in, a, in a better way. They didn't have the number of cases. They didn't have the number of deaths. And so they are necessarily further down the line. And it does, and I think it would be a, a big mistake for everybody else to try to catch up, to, to feel that some kind of competition going on with the Germans. And the other thing that I have a reservation about is that UEFA, I think, have put a deadline on it all. Whereas I, as you know, I, I agree with you, and we, we discussed this at the start of all this. I'd rather we finish this season whenever it can be finished. Uh, I don't think there's any desperate rush for it. I don't think there's any desperate rush to be playing a game every two or three days to to, to get them through, uh, because they won't. You know, we we don't need to. Uh, you know, I I will mess around with next season when we get there. Is is my view on it? I understand. You know, I, I, I'm with you. I, you know, I'd like to see the, the the steps being put in place for it to come back. It's just a question of when. Now, La Liga, uh, uh, they're doing a lot of work on it. I think. I think it's, I think it's sensible everything that they have done so far. I, I don't see any evidence that they're rushing back unnecessarily. They, there's obviously a massive financial pressure. It's an industry that employs they reckon in Spain two hundred thousand people indirectly through you know the clubs and the spin-offs and all of this. Um, so it is something that would need 
looking at. You know, there's a, a billion euros would be lost if the season uh, is totally voided. Now, you put a, a price, you are literally putting a price on lives, but then you are doing that all the time. That's the grim reality, isn't it, of, of public spending? You, you know, you, you cut social spend, so, social security spending and you can track that will cost people's lives. So you are always making those decisions. And it's a, it's a, it's a grim one. And Harold's point about, you know, what happens if a coach gets sick and dies? The, the truth is no one can guarantee that won't happen. And to be fair, no one's pretending. You know, no no one is offering that guarantee, are they? The, I think the A bar players were asked for some kind of guarantee. And to be fair to the league, the answer is we can't. You know, all we can do, we can only do what we can do. And you 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 hope that it's done well. And they've got all sorts of plans in place. And it's it's quite sensible because the the Spanish government has got these phases. You know, the phase zero this will happen, phase one, this will happen, phase two, and and it's a gradual opening up. But obviously, you're looking at the figures, the health service capacity as you go, and football matches into those. So at the moment, you're allowed to train individually, you're allowed to go to the gym as long as the gym's been washed down and everything. And then the next phase, the players will be allowed to train in small groups, uh, which again is sensible because, say, if you know Barcelona are training, if one Barcelona get, player gets in, uh, ill, he's only been working with three or four teammates. And so you know, it doesn't take down the whole squad uh, and put more people in danger than necessary. But and then when it comes back, they'll have there there will be sort of quarantined areas of, of the stadium, and you'll have high level, high clearance personnel, which will obviously be the players, the referees, etc., who will be living in some kind of lockdown situation amongst themselves. It's quite a, a you know, it's quite a sacrifice to be asked from them. But it's similar because my, my my sister is a is a nurse, and she works in the the emergency ward basically. But she's on the clean version, and there's a COVID version uh, elsewhere. So if you twist an ankle or something, if you're if you're clean of the COVID, you'll go and be tra- you know treated in that area. And so football grounds will have a similar situation to to, to hospitals uh, when we're up and running. So there's a you know there's a lot in there there's a, a lot of considerations being made i i i just fear that the uefa deadline could end up forcing everything to be done too quickly and the other thing i don't know if if you can figure this out too i don't know how we can possibly get the champions league finished because different countries are at different stages there are different regulations about flying in and out of countries now obviously you can relax those because you know, they're, they're currently, presumably, they're relaxed for medical personnel and, and for prime ministers and stuff. They can probably move from one country to another. But, you know, are, are you going to be allowing footballers to do that? You know, are, are we asking the German government, the French government, to let Italian and French and English footballers in? I just, I, I, I for, you know, for the UEFA competition, I, I, my preference would be that UEFA almost get out of the way and say to the domestic leagues, you finish off when you can. And we'll worry about European competition whenever. But we know the probability of that happening is not yeah, non-existent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I think it, you 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 make some some great points there. And I think as I've made the point that it's it's going to be really complicated. But at least people are trying to find a solution. And I think that's the, the least that can be asked of at the moment. Um, it, it's amazing when you see the. The medical departments now at these football clubs, I've not been familiar with going to too many in, in Spain, um, to the training grounds and stuff, but I've seen some of the, the clubs in the Premier League 
close up, close up, and and they're like hospitals. You know, the amount of people that work at these clubs now, and the, the sports science, the medical departments, full time doctors. Um, so you, you can, I think everybody can be rest assured that even the smaller clubs in the top divisions, of course, in Europe, will have the the, the right facilities to be able to to throw everything they can at it to to kind to try and come up with with solutions. So the Champions League is really complicated because we've got the French teams of seasons have ended. So PSG is still in it. Lyon have got a second leg, I think, against Juventus. It's almost like we have to do our own pre-season now, isn't it? Because I've switched off. I did switch off that, you know, and now you, you, you're beginning because things are starting to warm up again in terms of the preparation. You're starting to look back at the league tables. You're looking at the results. You're looking at the fixtures that are coming up. You're having to remind yourself who's still in the Champions League, who's still in the, the FA Cup. I think they've come up with a great solution in Spain to the Copa del Rey final, which has just been totally abandoned until it can be done properly with halters in the stadium. That along those lines, that should be something like what the Champions League are doing. And and if we have to start next season in November, October, if there has to be a two week break between one season ending and another one starting, I don't see that being an issue. I think we can we can tinker with the international games. I don't see the need next year for two week international breaks. Do what they used to do, you know, not that long ago, where you know. Players played at the weekend for their clubs. They met up with the national teams, you know, that night, that evening, or the next morning. Went and played a game on a Wednesday. Were back at their clubs on Thursday. It, you know, just a one game, and you could do that without taking up, you know, two week international breaks. So there's there's loads of things we can do for next season in the in the Premier League. You know, is you could make an argument for maybe the League Cup having a year off. You know, and just keeping the one cup competition. So there's loads of things we can do next season when we start from scratch. Transfers, is there going to be, should there be a window? They'll have to be flexible with that. They'll have to be flexible with players' contracts that are going to run out in the end of June or July. So there's, there's, it's confusing, but I, I would make the point, reiterate that I think it's worth trying to get this season finished. I'm not going to say at all costs at the risk of, you know, safety to people involved and, and, and not just the players, the coaches, all the staff that are still going to be at the games or working the players on a daily basis. But I think in terms of, yeah, rather than just saying we can't be bothered to come up with solutions, let's cancel this one and start. When do they, these countries expect to start a new season? I think in France, it, it's a little bit murky in terms of the fact this season was the end of the old TV contract. Next season is the start of the new TV contract for a lot of money. So that kind of clouded the judgment there that, you know, it's, and I'm sure they can pay off the clubs that have been relegated in this season uh, with the extra money that all the clubs are going to receive next season. So it's, it, it's, I just think it's worth coming up with solutions and being patient to finish off a season that, as I say, is, is three quarters of the way through now. And I think paying paying relegated clubs is a good idea and compensating clubs that, for example, if, if you didn't get into the Champions League for some reason um, in the in the shakedown, I think that, that more even distribution of money is probably the solution to it, isn't it? Because obviously the Premier League clubs, the bottom clubs, are 
like, like rugby players trying to pull a scrum down at the moment, aren't they? Because they don't want to get relegated. And you do the sums and you sort of figure out that you wouldn't want to be relegated because obviously the, the TV money lost for this last quarter of the season is nothing compared to getting stuck outside of the Premier League, which is obviously devastating uh, for a club. But I, th- I think you just need... But without that, why would a football... What, so why would Sky Sports and BT pay their hundreds of millions to watch a load of behind closed doors friendlies, you know, we're not that desperate, are we? To you know, you know, you know, I'm not that desperate to watch Aston Villa Bournemouth uh, behind closed doors with nothing on it. You know, I, I didn't go and see them playing pre-season. You know, uh, actually, on behind, behind closed doors, got two good questions. Uh, Tom, Tom Wild, uh, who is a, a football betting expert. As football fans, do you actually want? to watch hundreds of behind-closed-doors games to finish the season. Pete says, uh, football is so much about emotion, which largely comes from the fans and the player interactions, celebrations. Um, although better than nothing, games for that atmosphere are likely to lack emotional intensity. Uh, how can such games be more enjoyable for viewers? So there we, there we are. I mean, I, I've commentated behind-closed-doors games, and they're hard. They're really hard to commentate on. Um, because you, you don't feel that you can leave the pauses. The, the, the English style of the British style of commentary, we leave pauses and we let the, the crowd carry it along a little bit and you try not to be all over the top of it all the time, uh, which I know is culturally different in different places. Um, but I commented the Africa Cup of Nations, Terry, a couple of years ago. And funnily, well, not funny, but because of the Ebola, they moved the location at the, at the, at the late stage. And so there were, there were poor crowds in, in Egypt the games where you had bands and stuff were so much easier to commentate just because there was something going on. But commentating a football match where you can hear the players shouting and swearing and you know, all the stuff that goes on, um, you know, that, you know, football is better. I mean, I'm, I'm a great watcher of football. I love watching football. I've always preferred playing it. Um, and I think we'll find out that playing it is better than watching it when we watch it without supporters. Oh, there's, there's no no doubt, John, that this is the best case scenario, but it, it's not ideal, but it's it probably is better than, than nothing. And, you know, again, I talked about solutions and I have heard talk of fake noise uh, being mm. piped into the, not into the stadium, but into our television. I think they're doing that in the Korean football, aren't they? I exactly. think there's am- ambient noise playing. So that might be, you know... Do you, I remember the, the South African World Cup, that Vuvuzela. Oh, I'd rather yeah, yeah, this yeah. than that. Um, it's, it's, so I think it, it, yeah, it's going to be difficult. And for commentators as well, when I, I talked about possibly 23 players being in each matchday squad. So <laughs> I'm going to test my maths here. That's 46 stats of players, pen pictures you're going to have to take note of. And then five subs each, so we're looking at yeah. possibly thirty-two players playing a game as well. So that's that's going to make it difficult. But I, I think it, it's better than nothing. That's what I would have to say. And, and, and making the point about are we going to want to watch hundreds of these games? No, but there, there you know, there'll be a, a lot that we would look into. I mean, you've only got so much time, even in this lockdown, that. You know, you're not going to watch every single game. You watch games that have got, you know, interest to that. You're, you, know, you're, you personally, you know, might be, you might not support either of those teams, but your, your team's result, you know, might be, your team's position, you know, could be, you know, 
dependent on the result in another game. So there's going to be enough to, to interest us. It's not ideal. It's a million miles away from, from being ideal. We had one game in Spain behind closed doors um, just prior to the, 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 the close down of professional football, and that was Eibar against Real Sociedad. And it, to be honest, it took about 10 minutes, John, I thought, from my opinion. I watched it. It took about 10 minutes to get used to the fact that you could... There was no supporters. You could hear all the players, but the both players, both sets of players, approached it in a really good way, and and the ninety minutes was was quite an enjoyable watch. So, it's not ideal. It's a million miles away from being ideal, but I think it's it's a solution to to resolving the the end of seasons um, fixtures that we have right across Europe. Uh, one last question. We'll take a little break, and then we've got some straightforward football questions. Uh, that we'll have after the break. But here's another sort of lockdown-related. Jagipta says, if you were Setien and having time to evaluate during the, the, the break, what players would you keep and sell of the current roster? Now, you can um, you can answer that as, as much detail as you like, but what? how will the transfer situation, what would you do as a club now if you were you know, still involved in club management? What would you have been doing about transfers in the last few weeks? Well, it's a difficult one for Setien because uh, I know he's the current manager, but with the uncertainty that's been going on at that club, uh, is he really considering the fact that he's there to build and to you know spend two, three, four years there? To so he's probably looking at it from a point of view that it's just about this season. You know, if if he can win a league title, if Bartomeu stays on as president, it's it's an ally for him. If he doesn't win the league title, he's probably gone. Um, if Bartomeu doesn't, you know, stay on as president of Barcelona, I've got no idea how that's resolving itself. Then, if Bartomeu's gone, then Setien will be gone. But I think, in general, you know, it's the managers would have switched off. Um, I know scouting has there's no games to watch. Um, they can look back at games over this past season and see what you know where they think they need improving and stuff. People don't know when we start again. People don't know when. The next transfer window is going to be open. They don't know when next season is starting. So I think, I think first and foremost, that the people involved in those situations, in those decisions, are just looking at the current. Where we do see the speculation is in the media. And it's been tough on the media. I could be critical of the media, but there's no news to report on. So we're seeing a lot of speculation. I'm My eyebrows are being raised at some of the... the, the suggestions that players might be leaving clubs. I saw Kieran Trippier was available for 20 million euros and possibly moving back to Burnley. And I'm thinking, how is that? How, how? You know, he's been outstanding at Let's Go this season. Um, but they're saying he's available if Premier League clubs want him. And I can't imagine that Atletico are going to ditch him after a season when he's played really well just to get their money back. But who knows how the financial situation is going to be for for clubs all around Europe, seen Thomas Partey linked with Arsenal. I've seen Ter Stegen, there's contract disputes, but so much is, is speculation. We're seeing Barcelona offer players for Latura Martinez. Um, Artur Melo is, is one of those that's linked with being available in a swap. I think probably it's the obvious ones at Barcelona, if we're referring to that club. Rakitic, same as last season. We're probably looking at Arturo Vidal. Pretty, he's done well to to do the two seasons at Barcelona. If they can get good money for him, that would make sense. Someone mentioned Junior Firpo. It's probably too early to to make a decision on him, and especially bearing in mind Setien was his his previous coach. And then when you look across, you know, to to Madrid, 
to Real Madrid, it's going to be the same suggestions, isn't it? The obvious ones that they weren't able to move on last summer. James Rodriguez, Gareth Bale, one or two others. You know, Modric might be a decision for him to make. So I, I think the speculation is is just, as we say, filling dead air, which we get in television um, when we're commentating sometimes. Nothing's happened and you have to fill it. Um, that's what it, it, it's not easy for the media, but transfer gossip is, you know, is is one way to do that. So I think the clubs in general mm-hmm. are just thinking about the current, and they'll deal with it when they know what's, you know, what's going to be happening in the future. Now, Cameron, one last question before we have a break: Will there be a fire sale of players from clubs lower in the table to ensure their financial status? Now, in in a sense. The it's you know it's it's a good thing that this shutdown has come now and not five ten years ago before the financial fair play um, because you had so many clubs living beyond their means not too very long back in in La Liga where running big debts and and the like so um, I think it's good that 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 is happening so there aren't many I think. All the last set of results, I think just about all the clubs except Valencia were running in a stable kind of way. Um, and so hopefully not is the answer, but so much depends, doesn't it? You know, all of these decisions, I think the, the transfer speculation is being exposed for what it is, wild speculation, mm-hmm. because you don't know what your budget is. You can't possibly know what your budget is because, you know, uh, if the season is voided, it's a billion euros lost in La Liga. If they play behind closed doors, it's 300 million euros lost uh, compared to, you know, without the whole thing happening. So that's a huge, you know, that, that's a massive difference in your budget. So you, you can't, you can't know, can you? You can't do a deal for James Rodriguez not knowing how much money you've got in the pot. Exactly. And I think you make a great point about, I remember not too long ago, there was one stage, we're probably talking just about, probably about, I'm guessing around 2008, 2009, 10, that sort of period. There was 180 players at the end of one season in La Liga that were owed money by their clubs. Mm. And we, we, we've managed to, the La Liga have managed to resolve that. There aren't those debts now to players that were, well, they were quite typical, actually. It was, you know, it was one of those situations in Spanish football that clubs were somehow ridiculously allowed to get away with it. Um, not just Spain. Um, and, you know, it's, the Italian clubs, I know, players that played in Italy that never got, you know, their, their, their full money and stuff like that. And, you know, so Spanish football, and, and I can't recollect too many clubs being promoted up. And I'm, I'm talking about the likes of Eibar, Leganes, you know the, the smaller the smaller level clubs, um, Huesca that went out and overspent um, and blew a massive you know sum of money based on the fact they were going to get TV money in the, in La Liga for a year, which was obviously better than the second division. Not to, we haven't had too many of those in, in Spanish football. They've they've cut their cloth accordingly. Most of them have filled their players their teams with loans from other clubs. And they've had a sensible approach. So I'm hoping that those smaller clubs in La Liga that have, you know, you know, enjoyed the wealth of being in the top division, I think they've been pretty sensible in the fact that they haven't overspent and they can, you know, try and compensate this situation we're in at the moment. And they, they by and large, they com- they do manage to deal with even getting relegated. Right, let's take a quick break and we've got more questions to come.
The order breakfast at the McDonald's drive-thru. Tell yourself you'll wait to eat it at work, but it smells way too good. So you eat it right there in the McDonald's parking lot meal. There's a meal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, get any size iced coffee for 99 cents until 11 a.m. And pair it with your favorite breakfast sandwich or one of our tasty bakery treats. Price and participation may vary. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. McDonald's. I'm loving it. A little flexibility can go a long way. By refinancing your newer used auto loan with PenFed, you can lower your monthly payments for more flexibility in your budget. You can even schedule your first payment for up to 60 days from the date of your refinance. Calculate how much you could save at PenFed.org slash autorefi or call 1-800-247-5626 to apply. Membership is open to everyone. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Welcome back to Elton and John's La Liga Weekly. Now, there's been plenty of sad news, obviously, in England, in Spain, everywhere else at the moment. But um, we do have a question here from SSEQ. Um, not a question, but would be wonderful to hear your general insight about the influence of Michael Robinson in Spain over the past 25 years. If you haven't uh, heard, I'm afraid that Michael Robinson, the former Liverpool, QPR, Man City, uh, Republic of Ireland player, went out to to Spain, uh, played for Osasuna, and then became became a broadcasting legend in Spain. I mean, it was it was quite a journey to take. But the the, the tragic news is that Michael passed away. Uh, he was suffering from cancer since the the end of uh, last year, uh, and then obviously, obviously so we, we lost him. So you know, lots of people who who know him well have made lots of of uh, tributes. Um, so Terry, I mean, remarkable. Remarkable transition, wasn't it, for for an English guy who played for the Republic of Ireland to become this Spanish uh, broadcasting guru? Oh, it's it's, it's an, as you say, it's a remarkable story, incredible story, and you know he only played one season at Osasuna, but he was he endeared himself to the, the people at that club, and then he had some ideas about emulating what was going on in in the UK in terms of how we covered football. Um, I think one of the first things he wanted to do was like a, a Saint and Greavesy style show, and 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 do you know emulate that in Spain, and that took off. And he's but he, um, first and foremost, it was his personality that endeared him to the Spanish public. This English guy, as you say, played for Republic of Ireland, um, one season at Osasuna, managed to pick that enough of the language up to make a start in being a you know co-commentator initially. Um, then kind of being being an analyst and then hosting programs. And when I moved out there, I, I knew Michael was I played against Michael, and I knew Michael was was you know working in television out there. The, one of the first few days I was living in Spain, I went into one of the big supermarkets, and there was a big massive cardboard cutout of Michael Robinson. And that was from the first, and I thought what, at the end of an aisle there was a big Michael Rob, Robinson. I think he was advertising a. a computer game or something and 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 throughout the four years i lived in spain he was for, forever on billboards and on television adverts and stuff like that he was a huge personality in spanish football um so popular and you know it's, it's a real you know shame to lose him we know he had a, a battle with his health um i met him about three years ago maybe four years ago and a, a, a classico 
and he just looked Spanish. He sounded Spanish. He looked Spanish. He was, you know, it was a, a, the the transformation from him being a a good player um, in the in in English football to going out to Spain and then becoming this, you know, I, I'm trying to it'd be a bit like Gary Lineker, you know, in terms mm. of that's how big he was in Spain. Is how you know public Gary Lineker is in in England hosting Match of the Day. Michael Robinson was hosting similar programs. Um, I knew of his various links with clubs. I was un- unaware that he had a link with Cadiz until I was I was working working out there and I wanted to go and watch Cadiz against Real Madrid, Rubinho's first game. And I was working for Man City, asked them to put me tickets on. And it was an excuse to go and watch the, the Galacticos, to be, if I'm mm-hmm. being brutally honest. There wasn't going to be too much scouting there for me to do. And I got a, an email back from Manchester City saying the tickets were left on, which was the norm. Um, but I had to wear a, a suit, um, shirt and tie. Now, everywhere else I went in Spain, it, it, it's a little bit more informal, as you know. So even if you were in, you know, some sort of particular you know, upgraded seating arrangement, no one was wearing shirts and ties and suits. Um, but on this occasion, I was instructed to wear a suit, shirt and tie. Um, went along to Cadiz and I was sitting the road behind Florentino Perez Um it was because I wasn't aware that Michael Robinson was partly to do with the running and the ownership of Cadiz. Um, and because I was working for Manchester City in a former player that he had played against, he went out of his way to look after us. So that one game I would have been, if they would have shown a picture of Florentino Perez sitting in the, in the stand, I'm, I'm sure they did. Mm-hmm. Um, I was sitting just straight behind him. It's ridiculous. Um, so that hence why I had to wear the suit, the shirt, the tie and and, and, and go dressed uh, very smartly as opposed to everywhere else in Spain where you could go, not as you like, of course, but I didn't have to wear the, the go suited and booted. So he looked after me on that day. Um, I was grateful for it. And it, as I say, he was a huge personality. And, and most importantly, he wasn't just a big person. He was a popular personality in, in Spanish football and Spanish sport. So it's a, it's a big loss. Yeah, Michael Robinson. So there we are. Uh, right, we've got some more questions about the football. Let's, let's um, deal with these. Thank you to everybody who sent them in. Uh, George asks about Thomas Partey going to Arsenal, Lacazette going the other way. Do you think that would be mutually beneficial or is one getting a better deal? I would say Arsenal would be getting the better deal. I have so much respect for Thomas Partey. I mean, he's been hanging, he's been knocking around that Atletico for a long time, but now he is one of their most important players. So I, I don't think there's any way that uh, Atletico should consider allowing him to leave. You know, Lacazette is a good player, of course, but I don't think he would be as important to Atletico as Thomas Partey. And a new contract has to be resolved. He has to be treated as a genuine superstar. I think he's an absolutely brilliant player. If Arsenal were to put it off and get him, it would be a sensational player for Arsenal. Yeah, be good in the Premier League, wouldn't he? Because he's clever, he's technical, he's got he's got a bit of everything, but he does have that physical strength as well, doesn't he? That you exactly. still you still do need in the in the Premier League. Yeah, no, he's he's a brilliant footballer. I think he's I knew I knew it some some while ago, but I think the performance against Liverpool in the Champions League um, in both games um, elevated him into the attention of you know the public more than the the usual stars that we associate with. Atletico over the years, Thomas Partey is, is an absolute brilliant player. 
Um, right, Rene Higita's burner account in touch again. The Spanish Super Cup went to uh, Saudi Arabia, but the Saudi investment went to Newcastle. Not not confirmed yet. Uh, does it seem like it was a waste of time? No. I, I, well, I said no straight away about thinking. I don't think it was the right decision to go and play the Super Cup in, in, in that country, uh, away from Spain, wherever it was. I don't think it was right that four teams were involved. I preferred the old format. Maybe instead of the two legs that they used to have in the past, just one leg um, in neutral venue, I think that would be suitable, similar to, to what you know we do in, in, in England with the Community Shield. Um, so I, I, were they doing it in terms of hoping that the Saudis were then going to pump a load of money into a club in, in, in Spain? I don't think they probably were. I think there were other reasons, financial reasons, why it was taken there. Um, so no, no. I, it, was it a waste of time? Probably yes, um, but not for those reasons that that we, we, we're suggesting there. That they, perhaps they were hoping that the Saudis were going to buy one of the clubs in in La Liga. Yeah, I mean, there, there, does there come a limit, Terry? I mean, as a you know, as an ex footballer, do you you know can anyone just buy a football club? Do we take anyone's money? You know, are we so it, desperate it to so. drag money into the game? It, yeah. does, it appears so. Yep, I mean, it, this will. You know, reserve judgment, of course, until it happens. Um, but you look at some of the, the 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 dubious people that have owned football clubs in all over the, the place. You know, not just in in Spain, in in Europe, in 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 England, whether it's the Premier League or Championship and, and League One and Two. Um, yeah, it it does appear so, John. It's really really annoying that that is allowed to happen. Uh, let's we'll do a couple of these quickly. Uh, Sam says, pick your favourite eleven from this season without any players from Real Madrid or Barcelona. Only Damn one it. player from one club. <laughs> oh, yes, um, have you have you got what? Have you done yeah, that? Done I, I, I haven't yeah. done my go on, you, you tell us yours then, because I, I was going to suggest that we put it off. But if you've done it, go on then. Let's have oh, it. Yeah, no, it's more working for other people to do. It's, it's not easy to yeah. do. So I've gone Fernando yeah. Pacheco in goal of Alaves. Yeah, I've gone with a back four of Ander Kappa, Athletic, Domingos yeah. Duarte, Granada, centre back. Yeah, Diego Carlos of Sevilla. At, yeah, at left back, I've gone with Lucas Alaza from Celta Vigo. Oh yeah, midfield three, Thomas Partey, no surprise. Yeah, Fet Nabil Fekir of Betis, Santi, yeah. Santi Cazorla. Oh, that's a lot of work for party to do, isn't it? And Martin Odegaard at the top of the diamond. Oh, yeah. Okay. And up front, yeah. I've gone with Antti Budimir of Mallorca. Oh, yeah. yeah. And Chimi Avila of Sasuna. Yes. Training again, isn't he? Yeah, yeah oh, incredible. I mean, yeah. those thighs have helped him out, haven't they? I mean, the biggest thighs in La Liga, the first thing that goes when you have a, a knee surgery is you lose muscle definition on your thighs and right. he if he did he's got it back um and yeah no it's uh unbelievable that he it, it he may i mean i'm not sure if i was as sooner that i would play him if the season gets going again um but i'm not sure if i'm as sooner that you're gonna be able to stop him to be honest mm-hmm. um and you see the training he's doing he's twisting he's turning he's changing direction He's shooting from distance. He's running with the ball. He, he he doesn't look far away from from going again. Which will the reason I say also sooner that they're quite they're saving mid table, and the other reason is if he plays again and starts doing well, then 
I don't think they'll be able to keep him for next season. So maybe that's what they want. Maybe they want to put him in the shop window and, and get the 25 million buy clause that it's on his on his his price tag at the moment. Yes, we were saying before his injury, before that serious knee injury, we were saying that 25 million buyout clause was was a given, wasn't it? That it was an easy call for big clubs. But we'll, I suppose you'd have to see now, wouldn't you? With yeah. if he's just had this, you know, serious injury, he'd want some, I don't know, some kind of phase deal or something, wouldn't you? Exactly. Uh, Asked a quick question: What happened to the LFP awards? Uh, he says Wikipedia ended ended them on the fifteen sixteen season. Yeah, they they stopped them, didn't they? So um, not just with the rebranding and everything, but um, um, it was just the logistics. I think that uh, got on top of the clubs in the end. I mean, your your I've been reading Guillaume's book about Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, his his desperation to win the Ballon d'Or is just bizarre. You know, he won more Ballon d'Ors than he won La Ligas, and I just—I'm I, I, not a massive fan of league, the, the league running an awards ceremony. I like the football writers, I like the Ballon d'Or, but I don't think you should campaign for it like a politician. <laughs> but that is the case now, isn't it? I, uh, yeah. I, I've actually been enjoying—I'm not the one to plug other podcasts, um, of course, but I've been enjoying the Saturday night, Saturday night match of the day ones with Shearer, Ian Wright. Gary Lineker, hmm. um, they've been they've been good good fun, and even Shearer was still pissed off that he didn't win it when he had <laughs> one of the World Cups. Yeah. He was he's primarily got beat was Igor Belanov, the Russian yeah. player, right, okay, one, yeah, yeah. one spectacular goal in the World Cup. Um, it was a spectacular goal, and Alan Shearer. I don't know. I haven't looked at the hit playing career and history of Igor Belanov, um, but Shearer was still hacked off that he was top scorer in Europe, top scorer in the Premier League and scored goals for England, scored goals in that World Cup. And he said that the Russian player only scored one goal that season and won the Ballon d'Or because there was a, a campaign for a player from, from Russia to win it at all costs. And he's still hacked off now. So <laughs> so it, it's, it's interesting how those players that are close enough to win those awards... Um, do are competitive. No one is as, as competitive as, as Ronaldo in terms of the, you know, winning the Ballon d'Or and the individual trophies. Um, but I, we, it's good fun. But for me, it's it's you know still essentially a team sport. I, you know, I, personally, I would rather have won trophies with my teammates um, than an individual honour, and you know, not not won trophies you know out, out on the field of play. We'll know that uh, Putin's been fixing it when Denis Cheryshev wins the Ballon d'Or <laughs> next season, Terry. <laughs> uh, on the actually, you just made, mentioned this, uh, Pete's question. I think we've answered Omer's question about Junior Firpo. So one last one, which is from Pete. Have you been enjoying World Cup Rewind? That's a BBC thing, isn't it? Any highlights for you? So have have you have you caught any of the the old World Cups, Terry? I haven't. I have, to, I have to be honest. No, and I wasn't even aware they were on. To be perfectly honest. Oh right, no, they're quite yeah. good. I mean, they, you yeah. can get them on the iPlayer. Yeah. I, I know there's a load of yeah. stuff on La Liga TV, old games and stuff as well. They're all La Liga games, but yeah, I watched Jerry, uh, Jerry Armstrong uh, scoring yeah. for Northern Ireland. Yeah, uh, I, I mean did, the goalkeeper. I <laughs> he should drop it into conversation, shouldn't he? Um, the, the the goalkeeper basically palmed it at Jerry's feet. He, you know, I, I think yeah, I would have scored in that. But to be fair to Jerry, he was because he, he was a hard working player, wasn't he? So he played it and then he carried on his run, and then the goalkeeper uh, fumbled it down. The other thing that struck me watching that '82 World Cup because I watched the um, the the Italy Brazil game. 
the air horns, because you mentioned the Vuvuzelas from 2010, yeah. the air horns in 1982, maddening, like a swarm of flies, <laughs> all the way through it. Oh, it was, it was, uh, uh, but actually, to answer Pete's question, because I've been doing, I've, I've been watching a lot of old football, um, underrated team, weirdly, the Brazil 2002 World Cup winners. People speak with more affection about their 1982 team that didn't win than about the 2002 yeah. team that did. Now, they had a pretty solid base. I think they played with three centre-backs and a couple of defensive midfielders, but you had Cafu and Roberto Carlos as your wing-backs, and then you had Rivaldo, Ronaldinho, Janinho played some games, and obviously Ronaldo, the, the original, who had been injured for two years with his kneecap tendon snapped and came back with hardly any match practice. It was brilliant in that World Cup. And some of the goals they scored, if, if, I think a really, really good underrated team at Brazil 2002. Yeah, I think that the, the, what we have to remember is we, we only ever saw Brazil um, at World Cups. So Pele, the yeah. only time you ever got to see Pele. And there was this sort of image and, and this fascination of how we perceived them to be. So every four years you saw these, these the, the iconic Brazil kit you saw that the iconic players that we didn't see between, you know, World Cups. And then I think when we got to see them on a more regular basis in playing in, in Spain, in playing in Italy and seeing them on a weekly basis, it kind of lost its... The, the, the fantasy was sort of slightly disappearing then. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't as... Yeah. It, they were too familiar. They became too familiar, despite the fact they were still the, the best team in the world with some of the best players in the world. And if you love football, you loved watching those players you mentioned play. And and it was, I think we just, we had this fascination with them before. It was, they were like, a, almost like aliens, to be perfectly honest. That, you know, I was growing up, my first World Cup, I remember, was 1970. And then from 70, 74, 78, it was all about, you know, every four years seeing what Brazil were like. Would they live up to the the style of play that they had? or we believed they had. And then when it became too familiar, I, I, I think you're right. I think that team that won that was an unbelievable team. Um, 74 Brazil. I know we're going off the point. We'll do a, we'll do a World Cup look back at some point. Um, 74 Brazil, absolutely brutal. It was ridiculous. I watched a bit of the game. The whole game, to be fair, that much-vaunted Cruyff team, 74, the total football, they could put it about a bit as well. They, they were hoofing people. For, and it wasn't all, you know, step-overs and the left-back playing the right-winger and all of that business as well. They were, they were a big set of guys who could, who could handle themselves. But, yeah, that Brazil-Holland game, 74, honestly, a different world from now in terms of uh, the brutality of the tackling that was allowed. Incredible. I mean, that was a, um, at a time the Dutch team were designated as the, the Brazil of Europe. Mm. Um, that was how they were, were addressed. That's how people saw them. So that was a, a, a big match for the, the Dutch team to, to, to win and to, to their style overcome the, the, the complete surprise of Brazil trying to kick lumps out of opponents uh, and playing the, the, the way they did. Um, it was disgrace. That was disgraceful performance from Brazil. Um, far mm. away from anything we'd seen, you know, prior to that. Um, and yeah, I think that's a source of embarrassment to Brazilian football um, that still remains to this day. But it was uh, no, the, the Dutch were seen as the Brazilians of Europe, and you know, possibly should have won that World Cup. There we are. We'll we'll do some other 
um, history lessons at some point soon. Uh, they, they count towards your homeschooling as well, these as well. So let the kids let the kids loose on them. Right. Well, thank you very much to everybody who has uh, sent in their questions. Uh, thank you very much um, to you know, uh, La Liga for you know giving us the the briefing as well and, and bringing us up to date with it, with everything. And good luck with the preparations. Uh, stay safe, everybody. We'll we'll get the football back. Um, no desperate rush, but we will. Yeah. So we'll be back with more podcasts as well. Terry, uh, you can let Paula out of double lockdown now, <laughs> and uh, we'll we'll podcast again soon. Thanks, John. ready to ride metro we want you to know we're ready for you here are just a few of the people at metro to tell you how we're doing our part to keep riders safe we're cleaning like never before we're hospital grade clean you'll find hand sanitizer stations all over the metro no mask no metro need one we have a few extras at metro we're doing our part to keep the dc area moving find out more at wmata.com slash doing our part